This is Danny Cullip, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. So here we are, another week and yet another valuable opportunity for points passed up. Join me, your host Dylan Chavas, and both Matt Baldwin and Matt Arter as we go back over Saturday's 2-2 draw with Bournemouth and look ahead to key clashes with Aston Villa and Leeds later on this week. So guys, I'd uh, just be interested, before we start the main discussion, what were your thoughts going into the game? Baldo, I'll start with you. Uh, did you see that sort of slow start coming? Um, no, I didn't, because I know we haven't exactly been the greatest team, and you know maybe our expectations have been you know, somewhat changed as to what we can be as a Premier League team after you know the last two trips up here. But you think, you know, we haven't exactly we haven't exactly been bad. We haven't been stellar, but we haven't been bad in a couple of these games. But you'd think in games against those around us, like we saw with you know with Hounslow Town, we should be at least starting games on the front foot. But you know you go back to when we played them last time in the cottage with um, uh, you know when they restarted the second half. I think it was with that quick guard. I think it was just a case of we just got caught flat-footed. You know we're obviously a very prepared team. We're a very disciplined team, but it was just one of those lapses of concentration uh they just they just let us down so no I don't, I don't think i i don't think anyone really saw it coming that quickly yeah stato what did uh what did you make of the, the goal itself i thought it you know it was obviously the defending was a bit lax but it was a good ball you know interplay between billing and solangi uh, and a good finish but uh yeah the defending left a lot to be desired didn't it there, there's there's a lot going on with our defending at the moment. That is a big concern um, for us for us to be alarmed about. Before the international break, it was kind of uh, masked by the fact that we were actually winning games and we were scoring more than the opposition. And in recent weeks, after after this break, it's been it's been a bit of a, of a reality check for us. And I think it was necessary because you know. I think all of us, us fans, and everyone involved with the club, kind of got a bit carried away. Like we were in the top half, we were playing really well. Oh, we can beat anyone. And this last few weeks have been a bit of a reality check with, um, you know, what where we actually are. We, you know, we we are we are a recently promoted club. We we're probably going to be like a lower mid table team if we can stay up um, for this season at least. And games like this are going to happen and we're going to go through spells like this where we're not playing too well and that was kind of epitomised by the goal we conceded. It was sloppy defending. It was, like I said, it was a good Bournemouth attack but the, you know, the defending was shocking. I, I don't think there's only one single one person to blame looking at it and you know, I've watched the replay many times now. You know, Ream could have done better. Diop could have done better. Palinio could have tracked back better but 
it goes like these that we do have to eliminate from our overall game if we do actually want to realistically stay up this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually going to mention, do, do you think there's sort of one person culpable or who could be easily blamed for, you know, the sort of defensive weakness we have at the moment or more, uh, say, the game on Thursday, Bordeaux against Villa, is there one one change you'd particularly make in the back line? I've seen sort of shouts for Tim Reams to be dropped, but I would argue that his form this season is not really deserving of uh, him being axed from the side, regardless of, you know, mistakes. But I'd just be interested to get your thoughts on that. No, and I think I sort of echo Arta's sentiments in that it was a goal where there was there was no one person to blame. You can put it on about four or five different people, which does sort of hark back to the you know the last Premier League season when we you know we can see the goal. I think I think I think that's the one uh, the loss against Chelsea at home, and you'd think you know there's oh Ariola could have done better at his near post. Anderson could have tracked him better. Uh, Loftus Cheek didn't track back. You know Robinson should have shouldn't have committed to that. It, it just sort of took me back to those days, but I think. In some ways, I'm not as worried as I was back in those days because we've seen, you know, with the players that we have, that we can come back from it. You know, we're a much better team. So if it is a case of, oh, there's about seven people to blame, yes, it's obviously not great, but it's not a disaster that it possibly would be. In regards to team selection, I think Ream is sort of, and I've sort of said this about a couple of players, I think I said it about um, Marek Rodak um, at some point. Um in the past when he was having a bit of a jittery start is that these mistakes they aren't a problem until they become a problem i think this i think this was last year for the most part is that yeah he'd make a mistake but we'd be winning games 4-1 so you say yeah, it doesn't really matter but now it is a case of tim ream you know he was good he's making a couple of mistakes and you think oh well we're doing okay can we we could probably get away with it but when you look at the opposition that we're going to come up against again if these are games that we need to be targeting for wins you know, rather than free hits, you know, against likes of, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham, for instance. You do have to be a lot smarter with your team selection. I think there will be a time when the central back partnership will be Diop and Tosin. Because uh, I do think they are the, I don't want to say, I don't want to say best, but most, you know, prim, the most Premier League suitable. Because, you know, I certainly was part of the, the contingent that was, you know, Tim Ream. If he gets phased out this season, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be complaining too much because I do think he's at that stage of his career where he he can't be a regular Premier League defender. By all means, start him out whilst we don't have any other options. But now that we've got Duffy and uh, Diop coming through, I think there does need to be that that change. So I think Tosin and uh, Tosin and Diop will be the partnership. Whether or not it's this week, I still think it might be a bit too early to say. But I do think that time, I do think that time is coming. I wouldn't do it for Villa, but I wouldn't be surprised if they cap if that comes you know, further down the line. Maybe even against Leeds, depending on how it goes. I think you know what it's it's all well and good. But like, well, obviously, we haven't won in three games now, so here we are talking about we need to change things. We need to, we need to change everything up and. An element of that is, you know, not panic, but, you know, anxiety that things aren't going our way. So we just need to change things. But at the same time, Tim Ream, he's a great, great servant to this club. And he was instrumental in getting in winning us the league last year. But, you know, he is 35 years old. We, this is our third time in the Premier League now in, in recent seasons, and and you know each and each time you know when, each time we come down, we we look at Tim Ream and we say you know we can't. He's not a Premier League level defender. He 
if we want to stay up, we can't have him in the team. And although Marco Silva, you know, he works wonders and he is a fantastic manager and, you know, he's getting the absolute best out of Tim Ream. We can't be naive and just stick by him for 30 plus games and, you know, expect to stay up. You know, we need to be realistic in what we can do and what our players can do. And maybe it is a case of dropping him, but, what I will say to that is the alternatives being Shane Duffy and Issa Diop, um, if Tosin's going to be a regular, which we expect him to be, I wouldn't say I'm completely convinced by either of them. Probably Diop more than Duffy. We have, we've barely seen Duffy play, but you know what does that say to us if Tim Ream is keeping Issa Diop and Shane Duffy out of the team? So, you know, it's all well and good saying Ream does need to be dropped, but is there a better replacement out there? Yeah, I guess in terms of my own personal point of view, I'd probably echo the sentiment that Ream is not the one. He should. He's not obviously at blame for what happened on Saturday um, solely, but I think it would be a bit stupid to go through the season without sort of chopping and changing the defence in places, you know. And I think if we if we did go down, God forbid, at the end of the season, and we had started thirty eight games with Ream and Tosin. Uh, we might look and say, I oh, wish we did things a bit differently. But uh, moving swiftly on, I guess, from defenders' failings at one end of the pitch to uh, you know their success at the other end of the pitch. Um, obviously, it was Issa Diop who scored the equaliser. I have to admit, he's sort of had a, a, a surprisingly limited amount of time in the team to sort of make an impression, especially given the £15 million fee that we uh, signed him from, from, for, from West Ham. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good goal, wasn't it? Baldo, if you... Talk me, talk me through it. What did you make of it? It was a good finish, I thought, from the corner. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, bog standard job. It's what you want your centre backs to be doing. You know, it's what we expected Brady Hangland to do, but probably for for a man of his height, didn't do on on near on near enough occasions. Um, but yeah, it's just pretty standard. I think you know, talking about what you were saying about you know we pay fifty million for him. I think we will eventually get that value for him. You know, however you want to value a player, but I do think he will. Be, he will be worth a couple of points for us over the course of the season. And if that and if those are the points that get us, you know, that get us promotion, then technically he's not worth fifteen million to us. He's worth whatever the number is, one hundred twenty-five million or whatever it is for for saying in the Premier League these days. Um, you know, that's that's why I say you know whilst the season started off with Tim Ream and Tosnad Rabai, I think there will come a stage where he will be where he will be the the regular, you know he will be part of the regular uh, defensive partnership. And that's, I think, when we're really going to start seeing our values when he becomes a regular member rather than just sort of swapping out at this point. I'm a big fan of um, of having an, an, an alpha centre-back in the defensive lineup. By that, you know, one who's a leader, who, who commands the defence, commands the line, pushes people forward. Um, and that is what Tim Ream is. He, he's, he is an alpha centre-back. And obviously, I think, Tosin and Diop are the are the best pairing, but you know I question whether there is kind of an alpha leader among the pair of them. You know they're still quite relatively young centre backs. They both have performed well, but can they perform well together? And can one of them become that leader of the back line in Reem's absence if Reem does get dropped? I think that does sort of that is a point I've sort of been wanting to make for the past couple of minutes. Is that does make the whole Tim Reem conversation a little bit more difficult because he is. You know, whilst Tom Kenny is the captain, you know, and we're going to talk about his role in a minute. But whilst Tim Ream is, you know, always starting game, he is the de facto captain on the pitch, and it's a bit hard to take, you know, to take him off the pitch because even if you, you know, if you take Ream out, 
who I think we've sort of discussed is if Kearney is still a bench player and still doing the role that he is now, who do you give the captain's armband to? Because, you know, I think we sort of said it seems like it would be Harrison Reed just because he seems like the natural, for some reason, it seems like the natural progression. But is he really, does he, is, is he someone who you, who, you know, has the ability to take on the responsibility of, you know, we think he does, but when it comes to on the pitch, he may not be as vocal as perhaps, you know, when he has, when he actually has the responsibility, it might change his attitude a bit. So when you sort of talk about having an alpha leader, as you say, that is one of the benefits of Tim Ream. But at the same time, are you mixing up, you know, leadership and organising the back line and everything against overall qualities? That's, that is something that has to be factored into it. It's when you take Tim Ream out, who takes the captaincy? And I, and on that point, I don't think either of the centre backs are ready for that just now either. No, I don't think I don't think either of those, you know, Tosin or Diop strike me as natural leaders either. I just don't know if, say, Kearney and Ream weren't playing, would the armband not go back to Mitrovic? I mean, I'm fairly sure, you know, a couple of seasons ago, Mitrovic was abs- actually the uh, the captain in Kearney's absence up till the sort of, you know, COVID related scandal he was sort of embroiled in. I think it was around the time sort of New Year's when we had the FA Cup tie with uh, QPR. Um, and he, I think after Kearney and Ream, he's probably the most natural leader in the side, but I was, you know, I'd sort of understand if Silva didn't want to go back there. But I think he would be, for me, you know, the, the sort of third captain in the side, as it were. I think, I was just going to say, I think, you know, we've done fantastic transfer business over the summer, but I've always, I was always a little remiss that we didn't sign someone like a, a Wackie Anderson that you know could have come in and command the defence because you know Anderson wasn't a great season he was at but he was a standout performer and he he even had the captain's armband which is a low knee which which was quite unheard of but you know he was clearly that loud vocal leader we had at the back and we we haven't really bought that type, bought a player of that caliber this time round and you know I do worry that that might come back to bite us a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it does sort of strike me as a bit strange, you know, how sort of the Khans drive on about sort of recruitment the whole time and the, the importance of the process and how they've, you know, carefully invested in each and every player they sign. Yeah, it seems to me that they sort of not glazed over the sort of, you know, personality side of the player, but we don't really seem to have a squad full of sort of natural leaders. Um I guess, you know, under sort of trying circumstances, maybe, you know, people will naturally come towards the front, but on the face of it now, I can't really see where those natural leaders in the side are, you know, short of Kearney, Reem and Mitrovic. And then I guess then you're looking at players with the international experience, like Leno, for example, or even Polina. He's not been here for very long, but, uh, you know, the passion he displays for the club is obviously extremely evident. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe one day he had the captain's armband. But let's, uh, let's move on quickly. Um, no sooner had we equalised, then we uh, ended up behind again. I think it was seven minutes, the gap between Diop's equaliser and Jefferson Lerma's uh, finish to make it 2-1 to them on the day. It was very frustrating to go behind, isn't it? Always so annoying when you score and then concede again so quickly, especially against a team that we should really be beating. Uh, Baldo, what was your thoughts on their goal? I would say it's a bit more excusable than the first goal in terms of the defending, but I'd just be interested to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think it was a little bit more... Of a, I don't want to say a standard goal, but it was one where there's less blame to go around. You know, obviously, again, I'd say not ideal, but the the way that it was, I think, you know, looking back, you only really probably blame one. And I think that's Harrison Reed for sort of over pursuing, as it were, his man and not leaving him there. But over, you know, overall, I think it's just one of those you have to give credit to them for for scoring. 
Um, but again, this goes back to what I was what I was saying earlier. I think these goals, whilst they are whilst they are annoying, we so long as we have we show that we can come back from them, and you know, whilst going two one down is is disappointing. I always felt that you know, yeah, that's a bit of a setback, but it's not it's not disastrous, same as it was with the first goal. Is I know that we're going to be able to come, we're going to be able to come back from it, you know, as we as we later show. Stato, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, so um, a couple of things quickly. So Harrison Reed to blame, I think it's a bit, maybe a tad harsh because, you know, looking at the replays, it was actually, or oh, Jefferson Emma, it looked like it was actually Andreas's Pereira's man to mark. And he, you could see that he was just slowly jogging back rather than actually tracking his man a bit. Um, obviously, Reem's not kind of clear of that blame. They, they should both shoulder that responsibility. Um, it was just a very poor and easy, so simple for them to score, and we really need to stop. We we need to cut that out of our game really quickly. Um, but also, like Baldo said, unlike previous seasons where if we go one nil down or two one behind in the Premier League, we just collapse and we don't mount a challenge to kind of get an equaliser. Yeah, that's what makes this team different this time around. You always feel that we're going to go out there, we're going to try and win, and we're going to we're going to try and win and get that equaliser. And um, there's been a few games recently this year where we've kind of seen that happening. You know, um, in in the games that we've lost, even so, you know, we've lost three one to West Ham, but although they're all dodgy goals that should have been disallowed. I didn't mind that because it meant at 2-1 we were going all out attack to try and get an equaliser and to try and do something about it. And if it meant that we conceded a last minute goal because of that, because we went all out attack, that's just the way it goes, unfortunately. And it's it's kind of almost encouraging to see that we do go out attacking. We're not afraid, you know, to, you know, it doesn't matter who we're playing in the Premier League, it doesn't matter if we're the inferior team. We're going to go out, we're going to play to Silver's game plan and we're going to go and attack and that is what's different about this team. And that's what I quite like to see so far. And it's why I think we're holding our own much better this time around in the Premier League. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it, it does. I do feel a bit more confident this year about our sort of chances in each individual game, just in terms of, you know, the manager we have in charge and his sort of philosophy and ideas seem to be working really well for us most of the time. But I do, I do remember, you know, um, casting my eyes back to the West Ham game. I, uh, I sort of I was watching it sort of bit part throughout the game, and I remember when Antonio came on, I said this is either going to end two one or it will end three one, and he'll score an injury time because that's exactly what happened when the last time we played at the uh, London Stadium with fans, not the season before, but the twenty eighteen nineteen season, just before Ranieri was sacked, and lo and behold, the exact same thing happened in a three one defeat. So there's a little bit of a, a full circle for you, as it were. Uh, let's move on to the, you know, the half-time subs because I think they played a vital role in Saturday's game. It was Harrison Reed and Dan James who came off for Tom Kearney and Willian. Uh, one of those obviously, of course, had a huge impact on the game. Baldo, talk to me just how good was Tom, good, Tom Kearney on Saturday? I think, I think it was brilliant. I think, I think I made this point on, it may have been the last podcast I was on, but his role sort of reminds me of Georgios Karagounis in that I don't think he's... You know, with Karagounis, it was age. With Kearney, it's some some age, but also his injury history. In that, I still don't think I don't think he's ready to play ninety minutes week in week out. We may need him for the odd ninety minutes here or there, but he's 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 just far too far gone to be a ninety minute player. But if you want him to come off the pitch and make an impact, you know when you are trailing and you want him to you want to you know dictate the 
play and give you a little bit more creativity, then the option is there. If you're, you know, if you're drawing against a good team and you want him to uh, grind out the result, then you know, dictate dictate play and slow things down. He's good for that. Um, and if you're winning and you want to slow the play down for the same thing, he's good at that. So he is a perfect impact sub. If you want to make the comparisons to Ash Kanda Jagger, then by all means feel free. Um, but yeah, I think that is why his role is going to be going to be from here on out. And if he can, you know, still make the still make the same impact, then you know, by all means, by all means, go for it. I, I, if that's what his niche is uh, from here till retirement, effectively, whenever that may be, um, or if he moves away from the club, then then I'm quite happy for it because it's proving it's proving effective. Yeah, Stato. I mean, he was just incredible on Saturday, wasn't he? I was. It's sort of a bit mesmerised, sort of how he can come on, you know, with the sort of injury problems he's had over the last couple of years. I mean, to that end, I would say sort of his his game since he returned uh, in that in that game against Cardiff, you know, almost a year ago now. I think it was it will be a year on Thursday actually. I think his games have been managed nearly perfectly by uh, Marco Silva, but it's just how he's still managing to come back into the team with so little playing time. You know, it's only full ninety this season was against Crawley in the League Cup and, you know, if that was anything to go by, he shouldn't really be starting again this season. But I think he's he was just unbelievable on Saturday. Uh, how did he sort of come on and make the difference? How was he able to make that difference against Bournemouth? Well, you know, I don't think anyone can deny that, you know, Tom Kearney is a very talented footballer. Um, technically, he's one of the best at the club. Um, and as Baldo mentioned, it's really injuries that have kind of let him down. But I think the club and him and Silva are probably at a kind of a good mutual understanding of what his role at the club is now. In that, you know, we wanted to play, we want to play a midfield three of Reed, Pale, Reed, Palinha, and Pereira most weeks, and we want to do that because they are three footballers who will work their socks off. They may not be as technically gifted as Kearney, and. You know they may, you know they may not have that vision or that finesse um, that he does, but they work hard, and that, that's why we've been so effective because you've got three midfielders there who will just run and run and run and run, and they will block out any attacks from the midfield. They they chase down the defense with a high press. They do they do all of that, and it's great. But obviously, when things aren't going so well, like it like it was on Sun, uh, like it was on Saturday. We need to change it up, and that's why Kenny is so effective in his role at the moment because he's this impact sub who can come on and he can change that game. We suddenly have a midfielder who can pick out that that pass that you know Harrison Reed couldn't do, or you know has that time and patience in the ball that Pereira might not have, and it's a really useful asset to have and it's a useful option to have from the bench, but. Whether we can start with him, it's something I'd be interested to see, to be honest, because obviously you know, we've had Reed, Palinia, and um, and Pereira for most of the games so far this season, and you know that should still be the de facto starting three, front three. But based on how Kane's performing, you know you, you, you can't argue that he deserves to start, and it's just whether he would have that same impact starting then rather than coming off the bench when. We need to do something, and we need to chase the game. You know, would if he starts the game and you know tries to do a full ninety, would he get marked out of the game early on? Um, 
particularly you know by a Douglas Louise for Villa or then or Bubakar Kamara, new, not Bubakar Kamara, not him, Bubakar, their Aston Villa midfield signing. Um, you know, would they mark him out of the game early on, and would he become a largely redundant in that case? So, you know, I can see I can see both sides of why he should start and why he shouldn't. Um, but ultimately, Silver would know best, and you know, we'll find out on Thursday what he goes for. I think in terms of the argument of who you would drop, uh, Reed, uh, Reed Paulina or Pereira, I think just because of his skill set, you would probably lean, and this isn't like a criticism you know, against him, but it would probably be Pereira just in that number 10 role. You think of how like, you know, like Meza Ozil used to play for Arsenal would just play that. Creative, you know, even if you want to go to an extent, it didn't exactly work out for us, but it was because of the team around him. But like similar to Dimitar Berbatov, just as the creator, just, you know, if you don't want to rely on on doing the defensive duty, then that's fine. But as soon as the ball comes out to him as an outlet, attacking wise, and he can create stuff, I think that's sort of the role you should be aiming for. I don't think you want to have him too deep, or else that's causing problems defensively, um, in terms of the you know right in front of the back four. But I think if you pushed him forward a little bit more and just said we're just going to ignore defensive duties and just have you up there creating. I think that would probably be the best way. He obviously, as you say, won't have the pace to run, you know, and make runs behind everything that like Pereira does or like Carvalho did. But I think if you just want to have as that, you know, pure number 10, that's probably where you want him the, the most. So if it is going to be one person, it would be Pereira rather than Reed and Paulinho. Yeah, I don't know. One idea that sort of popped into my head recently, you know, given that his recent form, and our sort of injury problems in the wide department. I know, you know, Harry Wilson is sort of edging closer to that sort of, you know, first start this season. Also, whilst Manor Solomon is still out, do you, do you think it could be worth, you know, sort of going to a four in midfield and playing two up front? Or, Stato, I, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. Do you think a four in midfield and two up front could work? Or do you think it's just best sticking to what we know? I think that'd be a bit risky. And, you know, at this point, it's probably sticking to what we know because obviously if we go to up front, we're looking at Vinicius and Mitro, which I, I don't know how that would work. And obviously we've only done that when we've been trying to chase the game. We, we, we did it against Bournemouth, actually. We, we went 4-4-2 against Bournemouth and it was Pereira, uh, Palinia, sorry, Palinia and Kearney in that midfield too, which was fine because we were the ones attacking. We were the ones trying to score. Bournemouth were very much content on setting up shop and going for the draw. Whether we could do that for our whole game, I don't know if that would work. And I think since we've had, since Silver's been in charge, we've always kind of been that 4-3-3. Well, you know, with Carvalho um, last season, he was basically almost playing like a second striker at times. So it, it was kind of a 4-4-2 with, you know, two wingers and Carvalho playing in that number 10 slash second striker. And we have actually seen that this season with Pereira. You know, there's been many times when you look you look at the game uh, and Pereira is actually the furthest man forward, further forward than Mitro. So, you know, you could already you could already argue that we do kind of play a variation of a 4-4-2 with Pereira or whoever's in that number 10 row being that second striker almost. And... Like Baldo said, I, I agree that if any of the three current midfielders were to get dropped for, Ke- for Kearney, it would be Pereira. And if we were to do that, I couldn't see Kearney playing as that second striker. It would very much be a deeper, a deep set number 10, which, you know, is all kind of almost the opposite of what we're trying to say here and going for a 4 4 2. It's very much a more traditional 4 3 3 
with Kenny playing a bit further forward and you know then you have to ask the ask the question as well would that isolate Mitro there would be a greater emphasis on the wingers tracking back and tracking forward and yeah there's all these questions that would open up about you know change and it would change the way that we can't really play and that's why you know, I think Silver will kind of stick with what we know and we'll stick with that kind of 4-3-3 with that attacking, very attacking number 10 midfielder. Yeah, perfect. Uh, okay, moving on. It was Alexander Mitrovic from the penalty spot with his seventh goal of the season so far. He also leveled the scores again. I thought very confident finish and I thought it was a definite pen as well. Baldo, uh, what are your thoughts? It was definitely a penalty, wasn't it? And uh, a great finish too. Well, you say definitely a penalty. I think it did sort of go in the market of he, again, he he didn't dive or anything like that, but he bought it. Like he, he, he I, I can't remember, he, he played up to the situation. You know, he was grappling with, I can't remember who the Bournemouth defender was at the time, um, but he was doing a little bit, but then because he fell over, um, that's what sort of gave the game away for the referee. So it's one of the, it is one of those that, you know, I remember five, six years ago when we were talking about introducing VAR. It was a case of, oh, or, or before VAR, it was a case of, if you give that, then you have to give 10 penalties a game. Um, and, you know, there was really six or one, half a dozen of the other fighting, but because Mitrovic fell over, we happened to get it. So I think it was slightly fortunate. I do agree, definitely a penalty, but it's just a case of, on another day, another referee probably says, no, Mitrovic, get up. Because he does have a bit of a reputation of exaggerating and moaning just a little bit too much. You know, not in the he's not he's not a professional and he's not like Sergio Ramos or name any other Spanish player, so, so to speak. Um typical Germans for anyone who remembers the Sir Alex Ferguson quote all those years ago. Um yeah, so we got a bit lucky, but definitely a penalty. I do agree with you there. I'll uh, I'll open this one up to the floor actually. Um boys, I'd be interested. He's got seven goals from the first ten games so far this campaign. How many do you think he's gonna end up with this season? I think the you know the numbers and the stats sort of indicate he should end up with around twenty five, but I can't see it being that many. I think around seventeen, eighteen for the season. How about you two? Yeah, but I, th- I think around about that. I think uh, anything over the fifteen mark is a very, very good goal return, particularly for a club of our size in that league. Uh, I think anything over fifteen will be very good, and the fact that we're already halfway there is great. Hopefully, he is fully injury-free and he goes to the World Cup and does not get injured at all and comes back injury-free. So then we can just nail on for the rest of the season and he can just continue you know, plodding away and scoring those goals. Perfect. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of on the same line with you, Sato. I think 15 is probably the benchmark, benchmark of what we want to be looking for. But I think, you know, the, the success of the team and the success of the season is going to be dictated around what other num you know what numbers other people can get you know because you look at last season we had the likes of Car- uh, Carvalho and Cabano and Wilson chipping in with those you know I think we need to sort of be looking at if Mitrovic is going to get fifteen then I think we need to start looking for Pereira to get ten you know and you know name any wingers you know we're swapping it we're swapping them out like sugar babes at this point um to get probably you're probably looking for about five each from each of the wingers just to chip in you know maybe. Um, you know, Paulinho's sticking a couple in, so you want some from him as well. So I think the more Mitrovic gets, then the less it's sort of, 
you know, like last season, it lessens the you know the responsibility of everyone else on the team to get one. But if Mitrovic is going to be stuck around 15, then you probably want a lot a lot more contribution from everyone else around him. Otherwise, you know, 15 on his own and everyone else can, contributing two or three probably isn't going to be enough. You know, I still think you know I still think we are going to stay up, but we do need that contribution from everyone else. I always said last year, you know, mates would say to us, would say to me, oh, Mijovic, he scored 40, you know, 40 odd goals. Oh, like, one man team, you'd be nothing without him. But, you know, I was always quick to point out that, like Bill said, other players contributed. And actually, I, I had kind of confidence that without Mitro, the way we were playing, we, we would still win games and we would still score goals because we had players that would chip in. And we're kind of seeing that a little bit so far this year. Um, you know, Pereira, I think he's only got one go at the moment, the goal against West Ham. Um, we, need, we need some more input from our wingers, to be fair. Um, you know, we have so many of them. And I think once we kind of have a settled front two, I think that's a big issue at the moment, that we are changing the wingers a lot because there's no one really standing out or this player's injured. Once we have kind of a more settled front um settled two wingers they do need to start chipping in and scoring some goals because we can't just rely on Mitrovic to keep us up if we need, if we want to stay up this needs to be a team effort and people need to people need to chip in with the goals yeah and no, i mean i completely agree with the two of you to be fair i mean going back to last season you know Mitrovic scored 43 but that was out of a total you know 104 100 104, 105 in the end, I think it was. Um, so, you know, they, that's less than half the goals. And, yet, you know, it sort of seemed like going into this season, we were being documented as a type of one-man team, which I think is quite unfair. But obviously in the Premier League, you can't expect those same levels of goals just from Mitrovic, but from the team alone as well. You know, we're not going to score 100 goals this season. And that obviously means that goals are coming from less places. And, you know, Polina is going to, uh, you know, contribute with a few. I'm sure Pereira will as well. But I think once we get, you know, like you said, Stato, those sort of two starting wingers nailed on. I think it will, at the back end of the season, hopefully be Wilson and Solomon. So if they can start chipping in with goals and assists likewise, that would be amazing. Now, let's be fair, you know, as two all, you know, I thought we looked more likely to win, I think. But uh, Bournemouth were denied, denied. I think, a, a, what would have been a, not a stonewall penalty, but one that should have probably been given, weren't they, Baldo? You know, uh, it was a tough decision on their part. Um, but we were due a decision after the West Ham game, weren't we? And it was unlikely for me to say that, given I seem to support West Ham now. Yeah, I'm kind of um, sort of in the notes for this, in the notes for um, this show, at this point we're sort of talking about standard refereeing and talking about the standard refereeing of the season. And I'm kind of hesitant to do that because I know that our, our beloved colleague, Matt Dobb, is waiting on bated breath for me to slam VAR on this. Um, but I do think that is, it is a, I do think it is a referee consistency problem rather than a VAR problem this season. I, I'm steadfast with it. It's not a VAR problem. There's a rules or, in this case, referees problem. I think it is just the inconsistency is the problem. Like, you know, you t- you're talking about we, we were owed a couple from the West Ham game. We shouldn't really be owed anything because it should be, you know, properly, you know, probably... Um, stern disciplined you know correct refereeing all the time like i do think you know the bournemouth penalty you know you look at the way tim ream pulled him back that is that was a definite penalty i don't think there can be sort of any argument there can be many arguments about that they deserved a penalty on that one 
Um, now, whether or not this is a case of it evening out over the course of the season, it shouldn't. We shouldn't be looking at it that way. It is a case of the referees need to be better. You know, admittedly, VAR probably should have picked that up, but again, that could have just been a bad referee on that day to saying, "No, I think that's. I think we're fine with that sort of thing." Yeah. No, I think. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think. I think VAR is one of those things that you know, love it or hate it, it's not going to just go away. Is it? It's here to stay for the foreseeable future. So we may as well just, you know, get used to the fact that we're going to have decisions that go for us and ones that go against us. As annoying as as that is, Stato. I guess you know, finished full time two two, fairly even game, and you know, going into it, you know, Fulham versus Bournemouth, build as a game between two relegation favourites. Yet we went into the game eighth and ninth respectively. Um. Which side do you think would be more disappointed to come away uh, with a point from the game? Because I know we, you know, towards the end, we looked the more dangerous side, but there's arguments that Bournemouth should have probably gone in two or three ahead at the break. Uh, what do you make of it? I think ultimately we're the ones who are more disappointed with just a draw. You know, looking at this fixture, this was a home game, and home games are critically important in the Premier League um, if we want to survive. And this was one of the games that we definitely needed to look at and win. We didn't, obviously. But on reflection, it's not a terrible result. I think the fact that we were on a two-game losing streak, um, this kind of helped stop that rot almost. It's not It's not a big rot. It's just kind of a, a, a little kind of bounce of not picking up any points. So actually getting a point, obviously, it's, it's better than getting nothing. And... It stops that what of just losing goals, and you know, hopefully we can use that as a platform to kind of build on that for these next few games um, before the World Cup. Bournemouth, though, you know, and since Scott Parker got sacked from them, um, they they haven't been terrible. They, you know, they're, they're they're doing well, and they're doing well for a reason. They're a good organised team. They they've. They're scoring the goals. They've got quite a good defence, and you know, credit to Gary O'Neill. They're, they're playing. They're playing well. So, yeah, on face value, Fulham Bournemouth should have been a game that we should have won. But really, that's a form team, and I think you know, getting a point in hindsight, it's not not terrible. It's 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 okay, and we just need to build on it. That's all we need to do now, and go and you know. Yeah, I mean, well, there. since they lost. 9-0 to uh, Liverpool in what was Scott Parker's last game as manager. They're actually uh, the only unbeaten side now remaining in the league following Man City's defeat to Liverpool. So, you know, it's funny what happens when uh, you get rid of a tactically boring and inept manager, isn't it? Um, let's uh, let's go around quickly. Man of the match uh, for both you guys. I think for me, I would probably go... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it to Bern Leno following that amazing double save he made in the game. I just think, you know... Uh, he's been he's been really good for us since he signed, and maybe sometimes doesn't get the plaudits he deserves. You know, keeping us in games that we should have perhaps fared worse in. Um, I don't know what you you boys make of that, but I'd give it to Leno this time just for that double save because I think you know that has won us a point when you look at it now. Baldo, who would you uh, give it to? You took the words right out of my mouth. I thought that was you know it was a game where no one really stood out um, from our from our side. But I think you know in terms of you know like a great goal or put in a whole bunch of challenges or anything like that. So I would give it to Leno as well. I again probably down to you know probably down to that save. You know I certainly had my doubts when he came in. 
about what sort of job he'd be able to do. And I was of the, you know, Marek Rodak didn't do anything to, you know, to lose his place, as it were, after last season. So I think, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd give it to Leno. It just shows how well, you know, A, that I was wrong, and shows that, you know, whilst you might think you do have a player, there is always there are always places that you can improve on, even if you think you have the right player. Stato, who would, uh, who, who would your choice be for man of the match? The players that you both mentioned are very worthy of, the, of man of the match, but, you know, I also want to give a special shout-out to, obviously, Kenny. Um, also, Willian. Uh, he came on and he actually played really well, and I think he's proving a lot of the doubters wrong. Um, despite his age and, and you know, the sceptics came in, he... Along with Kenny, he did also change the game as well, and I'd quite like to see him start against Villa. So, you know, I'd give a, a notable shout out to him as well for man of the match. I'd say. Yeah. Um, well, with uh, two votes, I guess Burn Leno brings me back to that famous Gary Lineker quote: "The uh, the Fulham focus man of the match award is a very simple award. Uh, we we chat about the game for forty five minutes, and in the end, the, the German wins." Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a short break now, but we'll be back after the break to discuss a potential huge six points in two upcoming clashes against Aston Villa and Leeds United this week. Fulham. Okay, let's move on to previewing two crunch games uh, approaching this week. First up, Aston Villa on Thursday night. I think it's a half seven kickoff on Amazon TV for those who can't make the game. And then Sunday, away to Leeds United at 2pm. Boys, uh, let's look at the Villa game specifically for now. Any changes you'd make, Stato? Yeah, so one thing that didn't quite work against Bournemouth, and not for lack of trying, is Bobby Decordova read at right back. Now, I like Bobby. Great player. And I think he should still start, but I think he should start as a winger because that's what he is. He's more of an attacking player than, than a defensive player. And him at fullback, I just don't like it. It just it doesn't work for me. So I look at the alternatives, and obviously we have Kenny Tete, who may or may not be fit. If he's fit, we play him. If we don't, it has to be Kevin Imbabu. Now, obviously, by the looks of things, Silva doesn't like him for whatever reason. Because if you're starting Bobby Decodover Reed, who is a winger instead of an actual out and out right back in Imbabu. There's an issue there, and there's an issue with the player. And from what we've seen of Mbabu, it hasn't been that convincing. Um, in his defence, he had to play out of position at left-back against Spurs, which was tough, considering how good Spurs are at the moment. And obviously, he started in that ill-fated Newcastle game, which you can't really blame him for, because Nathaniel Chalabar got sent off after six minutes and it threw the whole game plan away. And he's, other than that, he's had a few sub-appearances. We haven't seen much of him. And, you know, I think it's a bit unfair some of the criticism he's getting because, you know, I'd quite like to see him starting in a game like this where we have that consistent defence of Tosin. And although we say Reem should be dropped, Tosin and Reem with Robinson at left-back. We have that normal midfield three. We have Palinia back, quite importantly. And I'd love to see how he performs because... You know, I think there is a good player there. We wouldn't have bought him if he didn't think he was a good player. Silver obviously greenlit the transfer. He believes in his quality, and there has to be a good player there somewhere. And you know, I, I think playing him at right back, just having a, a traditional right back at right back, would give me a lot more confidence. Perfect, Paul. Do anything you'd like to add? Any changes you do differently? 
No, I'm sort of on the I'm sort of on the same lines as Stato. Is I think the right back situation does need to be sorted out sooner rather than later. I think it is obvious when Tete is fit and available, he will be. But there does need to be a better option. You know, I don't think Bobby Reed is. I don't think Bobby Reed is the answer. I think Mbabu can be the answer. I think he does just need. If he just does just need a little bit more time, um, whether or not you want to do it against. Now, Aston Villa, who are probably going to be a little bit more up for it, as it were, because, you know, you've heard the reports of Steven Gerrard possibly facing the sack. Um, you know, he might be looking to galvanise them. It might be a little bit tougher than it might look on paper. So whether or not you want to do it in this game, I don't know. But I do think there needs to be a some sort of solution found at right back. You know, if it's not going to be Ted, it has to be better, something, something better than what we have, effectively. Yeah, I've got to say, on the whole, I agree with you both, really. I was going to say, sort of mention how the Villa game, you know, it could be sort of crucial for Gerrard's future. Um, so let's get some score predictions for both, actually. And how many how many points do you see us getting out of the six available from Villa and Leeds? I think I'll go for a two... I'm going to go for a 2 nil win versus Villa. I'm feeling pretty confident for that one. And uh, a 1-1 draw versus Leeds. So obviously that's, what, four out of six? That would be a, a good return, you know. Hasn't been the best start to October, which when we looked at the fixtures what, in June, I think it was mid-June, we sort of looked at October and said, this is where we need to pick up points. You know, obviously it's panned out differently as we had a fair few going into the month. But yeah, it's um, hopefully a good opportunity to pick up a couple of points. You know, this next run of three games, I think is Villa, Leeds and Everton, which is favourable to say the least, I'd say, you know, in the position we're in. But we've obviously got to make the most of it now. Always what are your thoughts? So I think that Villa, this is a big game for us. It's a game that we we do absolutely need to win. By failing to beat Bournemouth, this game has more emphasis on now than it did before. This is a game we need to win. It's a Villa team who are horrifically out of form, um, underperforming based on the squad that they have and the, and the recruitment that they've done over the summer. Steven Gerrard is very much under pressure and I reckon a loss against us would be curtains for him. And that's why I reckon we are going to beat them. And I think it'll be it'll be it'll be a close win because you know again this is the Premier League. We don't really win games massively, and we don't really do clean sheets at the moment for for various reasons. So I'm going to go for a close two-one win. Uh, me try to get both the goals, and obviously we'll concede a goal. But one thing I will say: when we have been winning this season we have been able to see out a game. So a 2-1 win for me doesn't concern me because I would have that confidence that we would see out that game and, you know, get that win. Um, and I'm going for, I think, I think we will be, I think we will be, we will be Villa. You know, as much as I said, I think Gerard will be galvanising. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it will be enough for them. I've gone for a 2-1 win as well. And then looking forward to the weekend, I think. I just think we might beat Leeds. I think they haven't really been all that, this season, you know, they've had their they've had their problems. You know, arguably could have had a better result against Arsenal if decisions had gone a little bit better and Bavard had missed his uh had missed his penalty. But I just think I, I just think they I think they are there for the taking. So I'm gonna go for a, a one nil win against the so that gives us six out of six, which should give us I don't want to say breathing room because I think it's still too early in the season. No, to be talking about things like must-win games, personally, I think we're still we still have a little bit more time for that. But I, it does just give us just a little bit of a breathing space that you know we can come back and rely on later in the season. So I think we're going to get six points out of these next two. 
Perfect. Uh, just quickly, it'll be uh, my first two games back watching Fulham since the uh, 2-1 win over Brighton at the end of August. Will I be uh, seeing either of you two at the cottage or on a, in a freezing cold away end anytime soon? With the prices the full of with the with the with the prices the full of a charging, um, no, not in a, not in a million years. I've given it. I've had that and my you know move stateside, that everyone knows about. I've got to save my money for that. So nah, none for me. Although hopefully I do want to get to I do want to get to one game by the end of the season. It means I might have to save up a lot of money for it though. A, a specific one in mind or? Um, the one where we celebrate seventh place in the Europa League conference spot. I like it, Stato. What about you? Uh, unfortunately, I won't be there Thursday. Uh, midweek games, a bit tough for me being based in Margate and whatnot. Um, however, I do hope to be at a game before the World Cup in a couple of weeks' time. Not sure which one yet, um, but yeah, I'm optimistic I can be at one soon. Uh, if it's not if it's not Sunday or Leeds, and you've got a choice between Everton getting battered by Erling Haaland and Manchester City, uh, or no, sorry, yeah. battering Erling. Erling Haaland and Manchester City or Manchester United uh, the choice is yours I'm buying up a potential United game to be fair on Sunday that could, that could work quite well for me but uh, we shall see we shall see we shall see well I'm hoping I can see both of you very soon on the terraces um, thank you so much to everyone who's tuned in to listen today if uh, if you'd like to browse uh, past episodes or indeed just listen to this one again Uh, We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you uh, get your audio Fulham Focus fix. Uh, In terms of social media, we're on Instagram under just Fulham Focus. Uh, The Twitter is Fulham underscore Focus. And Facebook, if you just type in Fulham Focus, I believe we're going to pop up. And the website is www.fulhamfocus.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Um, Here's to a big two games ahead and hopefully six points, fingers crossed. Once again, thank you very much for listening. I've been Dylan Trevassi, your host, and this was the Fulham Focus Podcast. Fulham.